Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Market Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Gordon from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at JP Morgan and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Market Strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So while the events in Israel and, and tail risk of regional spillover have been dominating the headlines, actually for financial markets, these have quickly reverted to focusing on the impact of rising U.S. rates, which really only had quite a brief pause uh, as the attacks on Israel started. Um, for EMFX, that's meant over the last week we've been weakening a bit again and local rates moving uh, somewhat higher as well. Although when you look at the risk premium in EM bonds, they haven't moved very much. So EM credit spreads are actually marginally tighter over the last week. Uh, local bond yields have moved about nine basis points higher, but 10-year treasuries have moved 30 basis points higher. So uh, clearly the risk premium hasn't hasn't been increasing there. Uh, we've generally, as we've talked about in this podcast, been a bit more neutral um, for a while here. We don't have a lot of confidence that there's any near-term line in the sand for uh, where the uh, U.S. rates are going in the longer end, particularly as things like twos, tens curve is still uh, minus 32. And, and that's obviously not typical for non-recessionary periods. Um, and also, as we, as I said, risk premium EM haven't actually risen too much for either credit or, or local bonds where they've actually fallen. So um, we haven't yet felt that we are moving back in here um, as far as the Middle East is concerned, you know, we, we've written that the base case remains that this this is not going to become a medium term driver for global financial markets. Uh, but obviously, there are still tail risks and, and markets may struggle to sustain uh, a rally while we wait for the next stage uh, to unfold, which is obviously still very uncertain. On top of that, there are a lot of country-specific developments within EM, which we'll also try and cover. So, Saad, let's start um, in terms of the top-down. How do you think we should characterize this move higher in U.S. rates that we're seeing again here? Uh, and how should we be thinking of fading this? How should we think within EM? We were discussing back in September that markets were facing two shocks. One was higher U.S. yields, and that was part of a more broader narrative about how EM would fare in a higher for longer regime. And then at the same time, we had higher oil prices as well. And I think that's the other shock which uh, we should emphasize here as being quite a significant one, especially if you look at the cumulative increase in oil prices since uh, the end uh, of of June, early July is when it really began. And now we've got a third shock, as you mentioned, Middle Eastern conflict that um, in and of itself may remain contained within the region, but it exacerbates uh, the increase in energy prices. We've seen been seeing that over the last few days. And uh, that also has a read through to what uh, rates uh, are doing as well. Now, it does feel that you know, we talk about higher for longer, but the implicit assumption there is that we're at some stable type of level for the U.S. yield curve. And, and then we try to figure out how long is that going to stay at elevated levels for and what the implications are. I think the market at this point in time doesn't really know how high 
high means, let alone the time period. So it makes it for a period of um, you know, pretty heightened uncertainty for EM assets. And I think we are now beginning to see signs of more kind of fundamental and policy shifts take place as emerging market policymakers respond to some of these, some of these pressures. Um, as far as rates and monetary policy is concerned, we're already seeing uh, a more uh, tilt towards a more kind of cautious um, bent uh, and policy stance by various central banks, um, especially in Asia. So we had the hike by 25 basis points in Indonesia, uh, which was a surprise hike. We had relatively cautious um, and kind of hawkish comments coming out of Bank of Korea. Um, the comments out of um, uh, the, the, the Bankiko's governing board members also tilting uh, to be a bit more, uh, a bit more cautious here. So I think we now have accumulated enough risks in the last couple of months or so, whether it's from higher rates, whether it's from higher oil prices, whether it's the added uncertainty of this conflict that is beginning to look more fundamental for these policymakers and. I think that's something we're going to need to get increasingly uh, a grip on because as you recall, um, in the last few weeks, we were thinking more about, we're going to have a repricing in US yields. Maybe that's going to throw up opportunities to get back long again. But I think that more kind of um, straightforward path that we had in mind as is becoming ever more uh, complex. On the FX side as well, you know, we've been seeing uh, various Asian central banks running down FX reserves, um, you know, so that, that that's been that that's been ongoing uh, as uh, as as well. Um, that said, there is a lot of differentiation taking place as well, you know. So if you think about what's happened since this conflict began, actually the oil currencies um, have done reasonably well, like Colombian peso, for example. Commodity currencies more broadly have done all right. Um, so the starting level also mattered here, you know, as, as we were going towards end of September, early October, FX markets were arguably at oversold levels, and that's helped to be uh, a bit of buffer. Uh, but overall, taking a step back, I think whether it's for rates, whether it's for FX, um, what started off as what, as, as a more shorter term sell-off in rates is becoming a bit more fundamental, and I think that's cause for bit of apprehension. How do you think about spreads here, Johnny? Because local markets clearly are seeing an evolving policy and fundamental landscape. Is the same thing happen, happening for credit as well? Well, I think for credit, we're in a bit of no man's land here. Um, and I think that's consistent with our more neutral stance. So um, in terms of just where we are, spreads are about 50 basis points from the, the real tights of the year um in in sovereigns but around flattish now year to date for both sovereigns and corporate spreads um i think on the one hand as we've spoken about with this sort of move high in us yields uh there is a the genesis of it is is a somewhat positive um development in the business cycle in terms of us data being uh stronger for longer and uh, that obviously has some positives. And if you think about it in terms of business cycle being longer, then um, 
you know, puts us more in the, the middle of the distribution is not a bad time for credit. But on the other hand, uh, the move higher in uh, US yields and tightening in financial conditions is not making EM sovereign credit look more attractive in comparison, and obviously makes funding uh, more challenging. And um, I think those two things are somewhat you know, playing out here, I think we probably feel still it's not particularly attractive spread level to want to 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 engage at the moment. Um, but all in all, a bit of of that, you know, middle zone, and we might stay there uh, for a while without really, um, you know, uh, getting resolution on that that cyclical question. Um, turning back to you, Saad, uh, it's never nice to have to discuss war but unfortunately in em that is sometimes something that we have to do in terms of thinking about uh how the markets that we are are looking at may be affected so um how has the reaction in financial markets so far to the uh war between israel and hamas been uh in comparison to some of the historical episodes that we've seen in, in middle east conflicts yes so the history of the middle east is unfortunately littered with conflict some fleeting, some long-lasting. If we zoom in to some of the, the wars that have directly uh, involved Israel, for example, uh, if you take the Yom Kippur War in 1973, the Lebanon Wars in early 80s, and then in 2006, or the Gaza War, which took place about a decade ago, you generally find that uh, the impact, if you think about oil prices as being the primary conduit through which conflict get, gets transmitted into broader uh, financial markets and into global risk appetite, it suggests that uh, you have a more prolonged impact in commodities, in, in oil prices specifically after the onset of conflict. So the market doesn't necessarily immediately price in the risk premium on the first day or in the initial few days. Uh, it does take some time. So, and we're talking about weeks here. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's something to be wary of that even though we have seen an increase in oil prices uh, more recently off the back of the start of this conflict, depending on how it pans out from here, you could see um, kind of a more trend-like uh, dynamic take hold as um, you know, the, the, the markets uh, and investors more broadly uh, assess uh, what, the, what, the, uh, what the intensity of the conflict is going to be and the risks for it to uh, spill uh, beyond uh, and across borders. So uh, that's, probably the more consistent result that, that we get from past conflicts, which is that you know the, the price impact does play out over a matter of weeks rather than days. We know that as far as the energy prices are concerned, we, we kind of mentioned um, you know, EM Asia has been looking quite fragile and quite vulnerable to the increase in, uh, in energy prices in terms of the inflationary pressures and impact on balance of payments as well. So that's a reason to be uh, more cautious on, on that uh, part of uh, the world and asset class. Now, if you think about 
how other asset prices behave. If you think about uh, what corporate bond spreads, if you take U.S. corporate bond spreads as a proxy uh, or EM sovereign credit spreads that we have available from uh, the 90s, it generally mirrors what happens to oil prices, meaning that the spread widening of the impact does only peak, um, you know, maybe a quarter after the out uh, the uh, the onset of the of the conflict. So, I mean, none of these examples necessarily exactly are going to be perfect analogs for what's going on right now. We know each conflict has a life of its own and can play out very differently. But the his, I think what listeners of this podcast should take away from this is once the conflict begins, the impact on markets takes longer to get fully priced in it doesn't necessarily immediately get priced and then we can forget about it. So it's something that I think we will unfortunately probably be, depending on how long this conflict lasts, we, we might be returning to it um, in the coming weeks ahead. But let's switch gears now. Uh, you know, we have discussed some of the more recent dynamics, the shocks coming from, uh, from US yields, from oil prices, from this conflict. But we also had the IMF World Bank meetings take place last week where, uh, you know, some of the more medium term, I guess, and other issues uh, that are uh, front and center in EM were discussed and debated. What are your main takeaways from, from those meetings, Johnny? Yeah, so as we spoke about last time, it, there were two things I, I was sort of looking to hear about. One was central bank reaction functions, uh, and the other one was was some update on um, those more medium challenges around EM debt restructuring. So maybe I'll deal with with the first one first. Um, obviously, we have had a, a tightening in financial conditions, which is quite significant now over the last uh, uh, you know couple of months. And EM central banks, to some extent, have been looking at a world where inflation is coming down the cutting cycle start and then eventually at some point the US may come in and cut and and sort of you know makes it all okay but um what i was keen to hear is from different central banks how they are now factoring this new environment you do f find from some um that they are have really not changed uh their rhetoric much uh, and there's the sort of the same thought about we're in a cutting cycle as inflation comes down um i would say places like Hungary, uh, you know, you get more of a, an impression that they are factoring this in, um, into their monetary policy settings, and, and certainly, you know, talk about the lack of, of sort of autopilot now in, in the settings there. Um, in Mexico is, is one where they're acknowledging it, but it, it's not factoring in, it seems as much given they're quite focused on uh, the move uh, uh, what they think will be a move higher in, in, in uh, core inflation. Um, they're not sure that their monetary policy is necessarily tight enough. So it's sort of an overall uh, somewhat cautious uh, feel there. Um, I think Turkey is an interesting one. There's obviously a lot of interest in it from investors uh, or looking to more re-engage positively in the story. I'm not sure they are acting too much on that yet, uh, but certainly a lot more interest in that um, given the presentations from um, 
the the uh, you know new authorities there, which are of a more orthodox nature. Um, so yeah, it's you know that was an interesting set of of differentiation. Obviously, a lot of our recommendations, both in currencies and and in rates markets, are split along those. And I think those central banks who are more reactive to what's going on here in terms of understanding that that things may be changing. Um, probably are to be favored in in uh in in that sense on the other side on the debt debt restructuring there is uh i think overall a sense we've moved from you know the official sector really uh just uh trying to promote the the common framework and and give it a bit of time i think there's a sense that we are going to be in a world which has uh, a more heterogeneous set of solutions for debt restructuring so um some countries, Zambia, Ghana, are going down the common framework route. Others, such as Sri Lanka, are not. Some will have domestic debt within their restructuring. Some will not. Um, and I think there's also a lot of talk from both official private sector, many different places of just other solutions to help improve the process so that debt restructurings can happen faster. So I think there's still a lot to do. There's a lot to, to discuss in terms of innovation, in terms of debt instruments, both for debt restructuring, but also for climate finance and ESG aims. And I think there's a lot of, you know, full, uh, you know, work is going to be going on with that to try and bring together various parties, uh, which is is going to be a useful thing to do. Um, so let's then turn side back to you and, and deal with the other set of, of developments also, uh, which revolve a lot around elections. We had elections in Ecuador with the opposition candidate winning, which has helped uh, hard currency sovereign bonds there. We have quite a lot of uncertainty ahead of the Argentinian elections coming up this weekend. There were also elections in Poland, um, which seem to have had a, 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 an outcome as well. Uh, how are we thinking about the outcome there in, in Poland? Yes, so uh, I guess to the surprise of some that the elections we've had thus far in EM this year have uh, been market friendly or at least perceived by the markets to be positive. We had that in Turkey a bit earlier in the year. You mentioned Ecuador and Poland makes it a hat trick. So the, the result uh, from this Sunday's election uh, is one in which um, relatively unexpectedly the opposition alliance, which is seen to be a bit more pro-EU uh, under uh, the former leader, Donald Tusk, uh, is expected to form a uh, government. Uh, this is uh, an interesting juncture for Poland because if you look at the performance of Polish assets over the course of the past uh, couple of years, there has been a very clear discount opening up both in bonds and in FX. And that discount has uh, can be seen on a relative basis. If you look at the relative performance, say, of the Polish Zloty against the Czech Corona is, is a good way to proxy that discount. Uh, and we also see that in the bonds as well, whether it's the asset swaps or, or otherwise. Part of that was due to policies being pursued in the last... Um, a year or so that were seen to be uh, a bit more, you know, politically uh, oriented uh, fiscal loosening, for example. So I think the market now is looking for a bit of a, a thawing or an improvement 
in the ties between Poland and the EU. Uh, and that's something that could catalyze uh, compression or reduction of that discount, which had opened up in, in Polish in Polish local markets. And we've also highlighted that the positioning in these markets is also quite low. So that's one of the bright spots for us um, in terms of our recommendations. Uh, we're bullish on Polish local markets compared to the apprehension we have more generally uh, in emerging markets local, given what's happening into all the external factors we just discussed. Thanks, Saad. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks for joining today, Saad, and thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 19th of October, 2023.